All right, let's dive into today's message. And isn't it amazing that we just sang that verse that says, through His mercy, God is going to open up wide the gates to the next life. And that's what He does for all of us. We don't deserve it. We haven't done anything to earn it. That's the message of the Bible. Yet, through Jesus, the cross, the empty tomb, God flings the doors wide. So we're going to talk about what that's going to look like a little bit. And I'm going to use some metaphors this morning uh, as well, because it, we don't have enough information really about heaven, about the next life, at least not as much as we'd like to have. We have enough to know that it's certainly there. We have enough to know that it's going to be an amazing place, a great place, a place filled with joy and adventure and, and connection with God and with each other all the time. So that information we have, I think we all long for a little bit more. For example, what is my room in that mansion of God going to look like? Has God decorated it yet? He's saying that he's preparing it for us. I hope he knows my style. So we're going to talk about it a little bit more this morning. So pull out your, your uh, notes so you can follow along with me. We're in Revelation chapter 21, 1 to 8, and I'm, I'm going to read it. This is John. Remember, he's receiving a number of visions here so that he can pass the message of these visions on to these seven churches that he's writing to, but with the eventual concern of passing it on to us 2,000 years later. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. This is an image of the church, God's uh, Jesus' bride, meeting uh, Jesus. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and He will dwell with them. They will be His people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this and I will be their God and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Imagine trying to go through life only looking down at your feet. Could you imagine going to work 
every day? Can you, could you imagine taking care of your family? Could you imagine driving if that was your view all the time? No, no one here logically, I think, would say that's a good idea. Just stare at your toes. Look at your shoes. Make sure they're nicely polished like those shoes are so you have something somewhat decent to, to look at. We wouldn't do that. And let me tell you, the Bible itself in our spiritual life deeply recommends it. I want to show you a passage from Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. And as we read through this, you're going to see that it has a very simple message. Look up and look ahead. You need to look up and look ahead. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. This means through faith. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, meaning just before what we read here, then you also will appear with him in glory. It's not a good idea just in practical everyday life to stare down at your toes. It wouldn't be a great business project to uh, a prospect to arrive at work and only say, what, what have I got to do today? Or what have I got to do in the next hour? Almost every successful business has spent some time looking up and looking out and saying, where are we going? And in that Colossians passage, that same tactic, that same approach is recommended in life. That we're not going to make it through life spiritually strong, spiritually connected to God through Christ if we constantly stare down at our toes. And yet, how tempting is that? It, we're so busy in today's world. And, and so we tend to kind of metaphorically speaking, put our heads down and slog and slog and slog through each day just thinking to ourselves, can I make it through this day? Can I make it through the next hour? If you're in enough pain, it's can I make it through the next five minutes? And not all of that is bad. Even Jesus himself said, don't worry about tomorrow because each day has enough trouble of its own. There is some benefit to remembering you can't cast out too far in your life and know all the things that are going to happen to it, so certainly don't worry about those things that you have no impact on that are still in the future. But then we have that Colossians passage that says, look up, we have this vision from Revelation chapter 21 where John is told in this vision by God himself, look, you got to think about eternity. And as you go through this life with its five-minute segments and its hours and its days and its weeks and months, carry with you an eternal mindset. Jesus taught his disciples, see the of God and his righteousness and everything else will be Attitude. So that's what we want to talk about this morning is what does an eternal mindset look, for you, look like for you today and what can you hope for? What, what are you promised? What am I promised 
about the next life, the eternity that Christ has won for us. And we're going to read through this and break it down a little bit. So first of all, let's just ask this question. What does an eternal mindset really mean? I did a little research and um, I, I looked up and, and, and asked myself, maybe I can find this on the internet somewhere, um, what will Amazing Love Church look like in heaven? Because it's going to be glorious. We've, we've, uh, we've been told. And I, I think I found the, the picture of Amazing Love in heaven. There you go. See that? That's Amazing Love in heaven. Isn't that beautiful, by the way? Can you imagine a place that you, you just are awestruck by the beauty of it? This, this is exactly how God, throughout all the different words of the Bible, also here in Revelation, describes heaven. That it is a, a place that you're going to want to be in, filled with incredible beauty We'll talk in a moment about all things being new in heaven. Let's take a look back at those first four verses of Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Sometimes people get confused by this little phrase. I'll just explain it quickly. This doesn't necessarily mean that there will be no oceans in heaven. It's, it's a, it could very well be a metaphor because think about in ancient times, what was the sea to ancient people? It was often considered a place of sea monsters and danger and large waves and shipwrecks. So if we take this symbolically, this is a way for, uh, for the vision to convey heaven is going to be the safest, most wonderful place you can imagine. I saw the holy city. This is a metaphor for the church. The new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. As it says in other places in the books of Thessalonians, we're going to come down out of heaven to meet God. Prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. That's really saying you won't have to worry about your sins when you meet God. You're going to be beautifully prepared and dressed as if in a wedding gown, a robe of righteousness, Jesus calls it. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. This is, this is the, the real core of these first verses. The most important thing about eternal life is we don't have to wonder where God is. He's going to be right with us, and He will dwell with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. Nowadays, when I stand up here and say, you are a dearly loved child of God, bought with the blood of Jesus Christ, if you trust me when I say that, or Dustin when he says that, you are doing that by faith. You are taking it in and you are grabbing hold of it, not with physical, literal hands, but with 
the metaphorical and spiritual hands of faith to say, yep, I accept that. I believe that. Not in heaven. All the time, like it was in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, you will see so much evidence of God's love and that you are God's child. It will be constant and consistent and physical and tangible. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Man, I look at that word. I think about my osteoarthritis in my back. What? No more pain in heaven? That is going to be awesome. But many of you probably think of other kinds of pain. Pain that associate well with the word mourning, for example. Grief over things that have happened to you. Embarrassment. Being upset, conflict between you and loved, loved ones around you, conflict at work. You think about those kind of things and you think, what is that going to be like? To be in a place where never again will I want to cry, never again will I have to grieve, never again will I cry out or have pain. All of that is part of the old order, part of the fallen world due to sin. And it's all going away. Is that not an amazing message? Here's what I want you to write down. First of all, God has planned a glorious life for us who believe in Jesus. God has planned a glorious life for us who believe. So do you see eternal mindset? Why not to look down at your shoes? Because God is saying to you and me, whatever's going on in this life right now, there's a, a much, much better existence waiting for you. That's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus forgives all of our sins to set us up and open the door. As Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. To go be with the Father in that mansion in heaven that has many rooms, and there's a room being planned and prepared for you right now. I don't know what kind of pain you're in right now. I don't know what exhaustion you're going through. Why maybe you feel extremely tired, or, or, or what grieving you're experiencing. Maybe you recently lost a parent, or had a relationship break up. But when these things happen, they cause a lot of pain. Imagine a life where that will never, ever happen again. And keep it in view. When you're tempted to just slog on, looking down at those beautiful shiny shoes that you wear, lift your head up and remember, God has got a glorious next life for you who believe. Well, let's explore a little bit deeper. What what are some of the aspects of what that next life will be like? I love this quote from Augustine. I don't know if, if you've ever uh, said the expression, I wish things were the way they used to be. I don't know if any of you have ever thought, man, before all this, whatever A, B, C, D is, things were far better. 
And, and Augustine says, eternity is the now that does not pass away. I love that. And, and here's how I take his meaning. If, if you are a good old days kind of person, whatever the qualities of whatever that time was, maybe you grew up in the 80s, and those were just a glorious time for you. Maybe you're a little bit older, and you remember growing up in the 50s and 60s, and that's your time that were the good old days. Well, Augustine said heaven is going to have some of those qualities. All those good things that you wish were still here in heaven, the good things are not going to go away. Now, put that picture of air travel. Some of you wish that air travel still looked like this. That's how air travel apparently looked 50 or 60 years ago. Now, can you imagine getting... Some of you might not want to wear the suit and the tie. But look, it doesn't it look spacious? Doesn't it look comfy? And sometimes we just wish some old things would not pass away. And some of you, you're early adopters. You love the new. And there are so many great new things that you're like, I hope heaven has new things in it too. Well, can you think of some of the things that you wish you had the new version of? I definitely prefer the computer on the right. The phone on the right. The car on the right, for sure. And the television on the right. There's another quote I want to share with you. William Mounsford says, Eternity is the divine treasure house and hope is the window. We, we look in hope right now by means of which mortals, that's us, are permitted to see as through a glass darkly the things which God is preparing. And what does God say he is preparing for us? Well, take a look at Revelation 21.5. He who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. The computer, the phone, the car, it's all going to be new. And then he said, write this down for these words, and I love this, are trustworthy and true. In heaven, you can believe it. There are, there are going to be great things in God's treasure house. What William Mounsford said, heaven is going to be this amazing treasure house where we can go in and have all these beautiful things that God has prepared for us, that God wants us to have. He's making everything new. So that's the second point I want you to write down. In the next life, everything will be made new, perhaps, perhaps except for flying. Flying will look like the 50s. Just kidding. All right. How can our place in this beautiful life of newness be assured? That's the third question. How many of you have heard about the outcome of the last lottery? Have you heard what happened? Over a billion dollars? First or second time in history that someone has won over a billion dollars? Now, they won't take home over a billion dollars, will they? Because the tax man cometh. 
but they'll still get a pretty generous amount of things. I heard someone say, man, this is the highest of high-stakes lotteries. What do you think when you hear the words high-stakes? I think that on the line, based on what I do, how I act, what I say, there is either a great reward pending for me or potentially a great penalty waiting for me. What about the next life? Is there, are there high stakes involved with the next life? Well, do you recall what we read a little bit earlier? Let's, let's come back to uh, 21, 6, 7, and 8 and take a look at these verses. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. Before you uh, go on, take it, take it back. Oh, here we, here we are. Um, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega. So he's the beginning and the end. What he's telling us is, he was there before everything was created. He'll be there after this is all gone. So he has the authority to say these things. But then he promises, you're going to get the water of life. I am the one that has the authority to bring you into this eternity and make you victorious and inherit all this. Again, here's that promise. They will be my children. All right. Thank you for moving on. But the cowardly... Talk about high stakes. The unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Anybody here get a little frightened when you see words like that? Especially if you remember that Jesus says these aren't just matters of actions. These are matters also of the heart, as, as Pastor Dustin mentioned even in our worship. These are matters of our thoughts. And, and when you put it that way, it, it feels like this is hugely high, high stakes. This Huge reward of heaven and eternal life is real, Jesus says. But so is, and you need to hear this, Jesus tells us, so is hell. And we dare never ignore that part of God's law. Because every one of us could place ourselves, if we think about thoughts and hearts, in the category of one of those sins that are mentioned. And then we begin under that threat to imagine what's it going to be like for me? Will I be in heaven or will I be in hell? And that's a horrible question, but the assured answer is this. All those 
who believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior will be in heaven. And even if we are sinful, even if we could put ourselves in one or two or more of those categories in verse 8, not anymore. Because we have been clothed with Jesus' robes of righteousness. We have been forgiven of all our thoughts, of all that goes on in our hearts that is sinful. Of all our sinful actions, they've been erased, they've been taken away, and through faith in Jesus our Savior, we are now in that category of people that are going to be in heaven. And the Bible says, okay, now that you know this, how are you going to how are you going to live out the now? And I, I, I what I want to do with just the closing minutes of today's message is is to answer that question. Now that we hopefully everyone has heard it, your sins are forgiven, you are wearing a robe of Christ's righteousness, you are assuredly a child of God and you are going to heaven, no doubt about it. By grace, through faith, then the question that needs to be answered is, okay, how do I live now then with that knowledge in my mind? How do I strengthen that faith muscle so that I hold on to what God has already given me? Take a a look at your notes and just fill this in, and then I'm going to take you to a couple of Bible passages. So fill this in first. Our place in the next life, our victory, is assured by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, our eternal Savior. That's one of the big lessons of the whole book of Revelation. I hope you grab hold and take it home today. I am not a victim. I am a victor. That that may be the greatest lesson of the book of Revelation, written to a bunch of Christians that were persecuted in great pain and suffering. And John writes to them through these visions and says, don't think of yourselves as victims. You are not, you are victors through Christ and his blood. So being a victor, what does the victorious life look like? Let's put that Philippians passage up. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You've been given a gift. And this gift is something that can be used at the faith gym, Paul writes to the Philippians, to strengthen your faith. So you've been given it. Don't just tuck it away in your gym bag. Don't tuck your salvation away in the gym bag and not use it. Haul it out. It's a a tremendous gift, and it will strengthen your faith muscles. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Parents, when you give your kids a gift, don't you just hate it when they play with it for five minutes, and then it disappears, and they never use it ever again? Because you thought about that gift. You wanted them to have it, but you wanted them to actually use it. That's how the Father feels about his gift of salvation to us. Use it, for it is God who works in you to will and to act. Here it is again. It's all God in order to fulfill his good purpose. All right, next passage. This starts with what we're talking about today. The end of all things is near. 
Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. How should we live with salvation as a gift that we're working out at our faith gym? Well, keep a sober mind, pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. You can work it out by loving others. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. So with those words in mind, I'm going to end this message by giving you four things that can strengthen your faith for workouts that will give your faith muscles. My, my metaphor for this is in the game of football, if the football just goes over the line, at any point breaks the plane of the end zone, you get all six points. Even if you were just about to fumble it, if you still have possession and just the very nose goes across, that's my metaphor for people who aren't working to strengthen their faith. You may almost not get there, but if you get even the nose of your faith across the, the end line of eternity, great. But what coach says, hey, it's okay to fumble around with the ball. It's okay to, to not tuck the ball away. It's okay to just barely break the plane of the end zone. No coach says that. The coach says, learn how to carry the ball. And in this case, the ball is our faith. Strengthen your arms. Strengthen your grip. And these are four things that will help you get that ball all the way into the end zone without any danger of fumbling it. Number one, read your Bible. Make it a habit. Find a way to make it just a regular part of your everyday life. For sure, come to church. Make that a regular practice. I'm not going to go on and on about this one because this one you hear about all the time here at Amazing Love. But the final three, the other three of the four workouts, you may not have realized what power they have to strengthen your faith and strengthen your ability to be assured about heaven by grace through faith. Number two, join a growth group. In about a month, we'll be starting groups. And, and by the way, if one of you is interested in being a host or a leader of a group, we supply all the materials for you. Come up after the service and talk to me. And I would love to talk to you about uh, what it takes to be a leader of a group. But those of you who may not yet be ready to be a leader, be a member of a group. It's going to strengthen you so much. Number three, volunteer. Serve. Because when you're around other servants of Christ and serving together with them, you know what happens? You rub off on each other in a very good way. You talk about the Word of God. You get strengthened in your faith. There's an old saying I like, if you're not serving, you're swerving. So think about that. If you don't want to be serving, 
volunteer. We've got lots of positions. Uh, some of them take very little, a few minutes a week or even a few minutes a month. So talk, uh, talk to us about serving and don't swerve. And then finally, share your faith with others. This fall, you're going to have a cool opportunity because we're going to be starting a Sunday morning Bible class in the kitchen. And if you don't have an opportunity during the week to be in a group or an opportunity during the week to, to gather up with others who are studying the Word, think about this Sunday morning group where you can come and worship one and then Bible study one. And it can make it an even more strengthening opportunity for you. Those are four things that if you do that, if you, if you do even one more than you're doing right now, your faith is going to get stronger, your hope is going to get stronger, and your ability to look up. Put that picture of the shoes back up. That's not what you want to do with your life, especially not your faith life. Look up. Look into God's Word, hang out with other Christians, volunteer, serve together, and that will lift your eyes. And you will not forget as you go through the, the troubles of everyday life, man, I have got such a better next life coming. And I'm not talking about retirement. I'm talking about the real beautiful next life of heaven. Let's bow our heads and pray. Dear Father in heaven, thank you so much for giving us this hope of a next life, that this life is not all there is, that we don't have to say to ourselves, this life sucks and then you die. We say this life is, has many things that are worth being grateful for, and then you live eternally, all through Christ Jesus, our Savior Lord God, Heavenly Father, give everyone in this room that hope and that ability to lift their eyes to see all that your death and resurrection have put before them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you join with me in confessing our faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.